Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from the American Queen Riverboat, sailing between Memphis and New Orleans. We're somewhere near Nottoway, Louisiana, heading towards New Orleans. As I try to do every week, I always want you to go to our website, petergreenberg.com, for our comprehensive list of all the aid and relief organizations doing all that hard work all around the world, opportunities for you to immerse yourself and give back every time you travel. And of course, we like to localize the volunteerism opportunities And Louisiana is no exception. In fact, especially New Orleans, uh, New Orleans is still rebuilding itself. And one of the best ways to give back is through volunteerism. Common Ground Relief is a great organization that's dedicated to restoring the coast while giving volunteers the opportunity to learn about the indigenous area. Restoration tasks include working in the nursery, the tree potting and planting and propagation. Some planting even includes being in and out of the water by boat or canoe. You just got to be over 18 years of age. Okay, I qualify. And the cool thing is you're doing it with people who live locally in the area. Who better to give you the tour than somebody who knows it better than anybody else? You know, you're not doing this for weeks on end. It's an afternoon or a morning. If you want more information, go to ground, excuse me, commongroundrelief.org or go right to our website for the complete list, petergreenberg.com. Joining me now is, uh, is the captain of this vessel, 
uh, Brent Willits. And, and Captain, this is quite a ship. You know, if I didn't know any better, just looking at it from the outside, I would think it was 100 years old. I'm sure that's intentional, but it was actually built just 20 years ago. It was. The boat was built in Morgan City, Louisiana uh, in 1995, so the boat's 21 now. Um, we always tell folks at the inside, it was actually designed to look the way that it does. Is we always it was tell intentional. People, it was. It was intentional. We, we tell people, welcome to the 1860s with Wi-Fi. <laughs> and I should tell everybody, the wi- it's the first thing I checked. The Wi-Fi works, by the way. The Wi-Fi does work. It does work. So we're very happy about connectivity. Absolutely. Uh, but what fascinated me is that, you know, if you go on most cruise ships, if you're a VIP, they might give you a tour of the bridge. Uh, they might give you a tour. They'll never give you a tour of the engine room. Here, you encourage it. We, uh, we do. We do uh, multiple tours every day while we're not underway. We'll do tours of the bridge. Uh, we used to do tours underway until 9-11, and then some regulations changed, and now we can only do tours of the bridge when we're not underway. We do have an open engine room, which is very unique to the cruise industry, and the engine... Uh, well, the engine a- itself, uh, uh, if the story is true, and you're going to tell me, mm-hmm. engine's not new at all. No, the engine isn't new. Uh, the boat's 21, but the engine's 85 years old. It uh, came out 85 of a, years old. 85 years old. It came out of a ship that sank. It did. It came out of an old Corps of Engineers dredge called the USS Kennedy, uh, and the engines were salvaged by our port engineer. And so you knew they were available? Absolutely, yeah. We knew they were available, uh, retrieved them, and then uh, installed them into the American Queen, which was a... Uh, that was a tradition back in the old days that the engines would live much longer than in a steamboat back in the day. The average they life, were wooden, they were wooden boats. That's they right. were, and there are many of them catastrophes, fires, sinkings. The average life of a Western River steamboat was like eighteen months. Say that again. Eighteen months. Boy, I would like to. I would not like to be State Farm Insurance on that one. It was not a. You know, Mark Twain talked about that. This reason he got out of being a river pilot became a. A writer instead because uh, the Civil War was coming and he said he thought standing in a glass box with people shooting at you was not a prudent thing to do. <laughs> if it didn't catch fire first. If it didn't catch fire first. 18 months. Wow. Yeah. So you found, so you built the ship first, then put the engines in? You know, they were, the ship was designed around the engine, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, but it was, it was. Uh, so built. we're talking about 85 year old technology. We really are. Yeah. And you know what's the only thing that really we don't have any trouble with around here? We have trouble with all the new technology. And see, uh, that's why I have a landline and a rotary phone. I'm telling you, they work. You're <laughs> laughing at me, but I do. You it's know, true. It's true. When the power goes off, the landline still works. Technology is great. Most of my staff, are, including the people sitting here in this room right now, don't have a landline. I know they don't. They're just existing on, on cell phones. Sure. Good luck with your batteries, guys. But <laughs> but the thing is interesting. I, I went down the engine room. I mean, it's basically all the repeaters, all the levers, all the. It's just. I might as well be in 1936. That's true. Don't drink the coffee while you're there. It's awful. Is so, it really? It's engineering coffee, man. Oh, you can't yeah. drink it. It's poison. Yeah. Dissolve spoons. <laughs> I'm not a coffee drinker, so I guess I'm okay. <laughs> You'll be lucky. But the thing is, you got to be a 1936 technology kind of guy to understand those engines. You really do. And, and, and we're. Uh, uh, we have a blend now, and, and uh, we have a blend of technology. So we have, uh, this boat was built in 1995, really right before the information age. So a lot of the technology we do have is analog. Uh, we've started installing, when we took the vessel over in 2011, we've installed a lot of digital technology. Now we actually have LED lighting and those kind of things. And yeah, but you know what? It's like I, I live on a boat in Los Angeles, and, and my boat was built in 81. So, yeah, I've got new stuff on the boat, but you know what? I always go by the old readings. Oh, you absolutely. always go by the old readings. So you have a backup now, which is the original Pressure, the pressure gauges. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, that's what you do. Yeah, it's 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 old school and new school, and the only issues we really have is getting the two to talk to one another sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah, that's always a challenge. You live on a boat. Good I for do. You. Yeah, but you know, Good. when in doubt, go for, go go to the old equipment. Hello, uh, this is your captain speaking. 
there is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. We've been speaking with Captain Brent Willits, who uh, runs this vessel. He's been on the ship for how long? About three years now. Three years. Uh, but the technology of running a ship like this with a, with a river that's got a flow to it, which can change at any time. It does. Um, you know, moving a ship like this with a big paddle wheeler, even though you've got your rudders, you build up a lot of momentum. And the thing is, you can't, you can't turn quickly, can you? No, it's, it's the largest uh, boat on the inland waterways. Uh, largest steamboat ever built, and uh, we have a lot of uh, you know we really have a lot of fun here. It's it is uh, we take our work very seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. Uh, and we get the boat up and down the river. We actually travel five thousand miles of the inland waterways. Uh, we visit fifty six different cities in a year. Well, let's talk about that because most people, I have to say, most Americans are geographically ignorant. I'm sorry, but you are. Mm-hmm. Every time somebody comes to my office, the first question I ask them is, "Do you do you own an atlas?" And they look at me like I'm I'm from Pluto. Right, <laughs> the Mississippi River goes way north. People yeah. don't realize how many times. I mean, you could actually sail this to Pittsburgh. Oh yeah, we well, and, and Pittsburgh is actually on the Ohio River. I know, but it's a tributary. It, but it is a tributary. That's right. Now the the, uh, uh, the the United States is blessed with two things. We have a very abundant, uh, fertile cropland to grow some of the uh, most abundant crops in the world, and then an efficient transportation system to get them to market. And it's been there forever. And that's uh, the way it used to be, right down the river. Absolutely, and uh, we would. Uh, where, you know where we travel. We do. We travel all the way to St. Paul. That's uh, 2,000 miles north of where we're at right now. Uh, we will also uh, visit cities like Pittsburgh, Cincinnati on the Ohio rivers, Paducah, Kentucky, Nashville, Tennessee, Chattanooga. Nashville, Tennessee is on the Natchez. Cum- Natchez. Natchez on the on the Lower Mississippi River. Uh, Nashville on the Cumberland River. Chattanooga on the Tennessee River, um, and then St. Louis. Uh, all points in between. What's the most Difficult river in terms of, of naviga- navigability. Well, each one of them is, it, 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 that's a hard question to answer because they're all very unique. Each one has its own challenges. Because you need, it's one thing to, to, to get licensed as a captain and understand what your waypoints are on your GPS and figure out where the buoys are. All that goes out the window when you're on the river because things change by the, by, by the well, by the mile. At, they do. They do, Peter. And we, we, uh, we spend a lot of time uh, studying the river and and uh, watching for the trends and watching what's going on. Some of the challenges on the Lower Mississippi River are really there's a lot of traffic on the Lower Mississippi River. Uh, ships travel as far up as Baton Rouge. We're in ship country right now, and yeah. we'll see probably uh, in excess of 50 to 60 ships on our way to New Orleans now uh, above that because there's a lot of current in the Mississippi River. Uh, last night uh, after you boarded the boat, you know we came down to Nottaway, and uh, most of the time it was in shutout fog. Um, so we'll see a lot of fog different times of year. You see that this time of the year. Uh, where we're at now, uh, we'll face that on the Upper Mississippi River. But Lots the cool of, thing, but the cool thing about the traffic is, you guys all talk to each other. Well, we do. Uh, we we do, and it, it's sort it's of like the, the old convoys on the truckers. I mean, everybody's watching out for everybody else. They are, and and uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, I live in Austin, Texas, and I have somewhat of a Texas accent. Uh, and that seems to help me out down in this part of the country. I think one thing's interesting is our staff captain tonight is a 28-year-old female, and uh, they're not used to hearing female voices. It's very male. Even in the year 2016, it's very male-dominated profession. Amazing. And uh, so we're we're breaking all kinds of barriers here. <laughs> now there's a rumor about you. No, it's not true. What no, it is true. I know yeah. it's true. You're a guitar player. 
I'm a very poor guitar player, but I don't let that stop me. Tell me about your instrument, though. I heard the history of that. That's amazing. Well, and it, you know, it, it's a great story, and, it, and it's actually can really be contributed to my relief, uh, Captain Bobby Duncan. It was his idea. Uh, we were in, uh, we were at St. Francisville while people were doing the Angola Ferry, and from time to time, uh, we will break boards on the paddle wheel from because uh, it hits debris or whatever debris, and, and they're actually designed to be the weak, weak link in the system. Uh, and we so we were throwing away some broken boards, and uh, uh, Bobby was on the boat with me, and, and he said, "What are you gonna?" And he's from Mississippi, Pascagoula. He said, "What you gonna do with them boards?" And I said, well, I said, well, I said, say that again. What was that? What he said, "What you gonna do with them boards?" I said, "We gonna chuck them in the garbage." And he, he said, "You mind if I have a couple?" And I'm, I'm like, "Sure." I said, "What are you gonna do with them?" He said, "We'll get me a guitar made out of them." I said, "Well, get an extra board and get two guitars made." And uh, so we sent them to, uh, we sent the wood to a company in uh, North Carolina, got uh, an outfit called Roadhouse Guitars. They make custom guitars, and uh, they fashioned just two Telecaster style. Uh, guitars out of uh, wood from the paddle wheel. And uh, Bobby's actually an accomplished musician. He specced all the pickups and the necks and all of those things with him. And uh, uh, now we actually play those on, uh, uh, we play those, uh, yeah, I played three times this week. I, I try to you keep played it that, three times three this week? Three times this week, after, all, after, all after I got off watch. Are you self-taught? Uh, I am. I actually, my, uh, my mom got me lessons when I was nine years old. So, so okay, but you're still self-taught. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was the only way I could, you know, I, is I have a face for radio, and it's the only way I could ever get a date when I was young. So, but it worked. It did work. Absolutely. I love it. And then, bottom line is, when you play, I mean, you're not playing the banjo. No, I don't play the banjo. I'm not if, that. But smart. if you're on a riverboat, you have to have a. You, have, you do have a banjo player. We got a, we got a wonderful banjo player, a guy named Will Kiefer. He does a show called Banjo Mania, and it is off the chain. Peter it is is some of the coolest stuff I've ever seen. And I, I will tell you that many of our guests come on and they see this. Oh, we're doing a band. One guy with a banjo. Seems a little hokey to me, but I'd say people come just out just raving about the show. It's, it's, it is remarkable. And your favorite song to play? Oh, my favorite song, Johnny Be Good. <laughs> Not exactly Mark Twain music. No, it isn't. It's, we, we have enough folks. I don't, you know what? I'll tell you what. We, uh, we have world-class entertainment, so I, I stick to really simple stuff. <laughs> If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Joining me now... When we talk about the art of the conversation in this country, I think he's got it. Um, he has a title on this ship, which uh, most people don't know. Uh, you've heard the word historian. Uh, he's a river Lorian, and he'll have to explain that. Jerry Hay, how are you? Great, thank you. Okay, what's a river Lorian? Well, a river Lorian is a combination of words, historian and lore. So, so you're we, making it up as you go along. Well, we, we are allowed to, yes. <laughs> Historians have to stick with the truth. We don't necessarily have to. But that's part of the part of the heritage of the river, actually, is storytelling. We well, listen, too. you've been on and off the river for about, what, 17 years. So yes. you've seen a lot of stuff. And you've seen a time when there weren't a lot of riverboats on the water at all. Now this ship is back on it. Uh, and, you, you know, you're, you're, you're traversing a lot of water. I mean, you're, you're crossing state boundaries. You're going into different, different locations all mm -hmm. along either the main river or the tributaries. What's the stories that, that, that fascinate people the most that they had no idea about? Well, I think probably the stories about those early days on the river. 
and I actually do an entire talk about that, about the evolution of the river boats, how it all began from the flat boats, the keel boats, the, the pirates. We had pirates on the river, stories about that. And to really, no, you're not making that up. You have no. Them. Okay, this just double check. This is true. Uh, I have a I have a method for that. If if I tell a lie, I always confess afterwards, so people will know the difference. Okay, good. And so uh, this this river heritage is part of the American heritage is the river system, the steamboats for sure. And so people really enjoy hearing about those early rough and rowdy days on the river. You know, and it, it, this boat depicts that era somewhat. It's more of the luxury steamboat of the time, but they—it's uh, uh, always a fascinating for them to hear that lore, and I and I enjoy doing it. I spend one day just telling stories. That's all I do. Yeah. We don't. I don't. No teaching that day. Just storytelling. I did that just today, and that's the that's the most fun day for me too. Who's your most fascinating riverside or riverboat character? Uh, William Clark, and most people would be surprised to hear that, but he was the part of the Lewis and Clark expedition. And he was of every bit of a river man. He was known as a frontiersman and a soldier, but he uh, had an uncanny ability to read the river on the Lewis and Clark expedition. And you have to read the river. You gotta read the river. And his map making was a miracle, how he drew his maps and ascertained the distances and those sort of thing. And so I believe that expedition would have not been successful without him. So. Uh, he's a, a quite a river man in my he's my my river royalty I call him and he's at the top of the list now of course everybody I'm sure expects you to talk about Mark Twain well of course Mark Twain yeah Mark Twain put the Mississippi River on the world map uh, with his wit wisdom and humor and it, that's why this river name is known throughout the world is because of Mark Twain so even though he and was Mark a, Twain actually means what Mark Twain means uh, two fathoms of river depth on a lead line so they would toss the lead line out ahead of the boat and measure it off in one fathom. It's about six feet. And then they would uh, call out, the leadsman would call out to the Mark One for six feet of water. Then the next mark would be where or not. He would be two fathoms and he'd call out Mark Twain. That's safe water. So that was his pseudonym and that's what it was. He his real name, of course, water. Samuel Clements. Exactly. Yeah. By the way, he did a book, nothing to do with the river, but he did a book that is one of the most fascinating books I've ever read. It's back in print. It's not sold in your bookstore, but somebody needs to go get it. It's called Innocence Abroad. Mm-hmm. Amazing what this guy did as a traveler. We're talking Mark Twain. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, my God. And the things that he experienced about 100 years ago are the same things we experience today. Nickel and diming, mm-hmm. people not getting, you know, overcharging for seats. I mean, it's amazing to read that and put it in perspective. And he had an eloquent way of expressing it. Oh, some of he had a that. humorous way of expressing <laughs> Exactly. It. Yeah. I mean, you, you couldn't get more fun than this guy. Right. What's the biggest surprise about him that you tell people? I suppose the biggest surprise I say about him is that name again, Mark Twain, because uh, there was a captain, a riverboat captain named Isaiah Sellers out of St. Louis. And Captain Sellers was a, was a very famous captain, well-known, and he wrote journals that was published in all the newspapers that the other pilots read, and everyone admired Captain Sellers for his skill. And he had a cub pilot working under him for a time named Sam Clemens. Well, Sam admired Captain Sellers for not only his skill as a pilot, but his writing. And it inspired him to start writing. And he also admired something else Captain Sellers did, because at the end of his name on the journals, he signed off Mark Twain. Whoops. Yes, he was actually the first Mark Twain. But uh, he waited till Captain Sellers died before he took it. So that was... Uh, and he's certainly made it famous, more so. Who's heard of Captain Now, today, Sellers? of course, that would end up in court. <laughs> Probably would. <laughs> right? I mean, today yes. it would be like a, it would be, it would be a lawsuit. Right. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah. What's the biggest surprise for people who've never been on a riverboat when they first come on? 
the boat itself, when they first walk on this boat, I see them walking around in awe, looking at this beautiful boat, uh, and going to all the public spaces, and uh, people like to explore it and look around. So this, even though they've probably seen the brochures and the photographs, but to be on the boat makes all the difference. And, and I take pleasure in helping them, show them those places around the boat, you know. I mean, to me, it's the extensive use of wood where you probably couldn't build that ship today. You couldn't build the ship today without wood. I don't wood. think so, yeah. no. Well, you could, you could. It's still a steel vessel. I know, but I'm talking. But, the, but we have a lot of wood interior, yeah. in the interior. Absolutely, exactly. yeah. yeah. I mean, and there's storytelling there as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. 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 If you are sitting next to a small child or someone who is acting like a small child, please do us all a favor and put on your mask first. You know, when you get on these ships, inevitably, uh, all you have to do is start asking around, and you find out, oh, you got to talk to this guy because he's been here a lot, uh, and someone who's a veteran cruiser. So, you know what? We grabbed him. Roger Allard, how are you, sir? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? And that accent means you're not from here. I'm from the other side of the pond. But so, London. London, of course. What's special about this river and this cruise? This river is one of the five longest rivers in the world, and I think it's a fascinating river where it totally sort of divides America or the USA um, east and west um, there's not many cruise boats on this river compared with the other long rivers and this this boat is actually fantastic it, it's like a it's like a Disney time warp it has so much nooks and crannies and glass and uh, pictures and memorabilia it's you probably it, couldn't build this boat today you probably couldn't yeah. certainly with what's in it as well yeah how did you find out about this I saw it advertised. Simple as that. Uh, simple as that. And I like doing sort of um, different things. Okay, so where have you cruised? I've, most of my cruises have been on the ocean. I've cruised in, in European rivers. Um, I've been down to as far as Antarctica, South Georgia, on cruise ships, uh, up to the Arctic Circle, um, around America, uh, through the Panama Canal, um, and some places in the Far East as well. And how many times on this ship? This is my fifth visit on the ship. Wow, so you're a repeater. You are a repeater. I'm definitely a repeater. Okay, why do you keep coming back? I think it's, it's, it's just quite magical. The, the, the crew, the service, the itinerary. This one's a Civil War trip, and I quite like wars anyway. And you read little about the American Civil War. Bear in mind me, I'm a Brit. Um, and it's just like to learn things. And well, it could while, have been the War of 1812, you know. Yeah, I heard about that one as well, but we don't talk about the ones <laughs> By we By the way, we, you know who won. I know you won. Oh, okay, so we, we, we don't again. talk about the wars we lost in, in England. Okay. Okay. But we, we do recognize you did win that one. <laughs> but what do you learn on this trip? You learn so much what, what, what America's all about and meeting the people. I mean, the people here are just so kind, friendly, they want to talk to you, um, as well as about the river about politics, and I sort of listen rather than pass comment. Especially uh, smart move these days, by the way. Well, I'm a Brit, and I think it's your, it's your issue rather than our issues. But and it's definitely an issue, trust me. It, uh, <laughs> so I've seen, as I've, on television and personally. But, but this, this, this river is fantastic, especially from Memphis down to New Orleans. It's got so much character and soul to it. See, the thing to me that, that, that appeals to me about this, and that's about all sort of river cruising, whether it's here or somewhere else, is you're going at a pace a that allows pace. you to think, it allows you to absorb, it allows you to have something that we've lost in this country, a conversation. Absolutely, and what's more, on, 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 like, like most riverboats, you can see what's going on as you sail by. 
on ocean ships, you're a lot more at sea. So you can actually see the, uh, America for what it is. We've all done the East Coast, we've all done the West Coast. This is Central America, Central USA. And, and the thing about river cruising, I've done this in, in France and in Amsterdam and, and over in Asia as well. If you just sit there, it all goes by you. It, it's, it's, there's never a dull moment. Absolutely. The only dull moment is when it's dark, but then you're generally asleep or, or down the engine room bar, which is unique in itself. Yeah, because you're literally down by the engine room having a drink, literally. With, with, with the paddle wheel going around in front of you, behind the glass. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Are you, are you as fascinated with the engine as I am? I am. I've been down the engine room this afternoon. I think you're welcome down any time you want to go down. I there. know. I was down there's earlier a, today, yeah. There's a door for the engine room bar. Just go down and have a look. And please go look. I think it's just people go look where the engine's going, not when it's stationary. Of course. Of yeah. course, you want to see things happening. Yeah. What's been the biggest surprise for you on the Mississippi? How nice people are and, and, and this boat. It's, just, it's quite unique. It's, it's like being on a film set. It's just, it just, it, it, you have to come and see it, feel it, and, uh, and touch it. And I've also been on the American Empress and the Columbia State River once. And that is, whilst it's different, it's very similar with all the art it has on board and, and the feeling of it. It's, it's almost a Russian vessel rather than an American vessel because they're originally doing Alaska with all the Russian pictures of the Tsar and times before. You know, I, I have this desire, and I shouldn't even admit this to you, to sort of stand on the top of the balcony by the staircase and do my impression of Clark Gable. I don't know. It's <laughs> no, not a good idea. Well, I don't know. That was, some people talk about the Titanic, but a lot of rivers fine though. But no. yeah, but, but, but fine. It is. It's that. It's, it's that grandeur that actually it shows it. It, it feels traditional. Well, plus you're not going very fast. No. I mean, there's a lot to be said for that. Absolutely, and especially in such a hectic life as we all lead just to relax and watch the world go by and see that paddle wheel. The paddle wheel is quite mesmerizing. Now, you're, you're, you're a Civil War buff, or at least you're an aficionado. Well, I've, I've learned a bit more. Okay, what, what's the most, most thing, interesting thing you've learned about the Civil War on this trip? How different the Union side was to the Confederate side. And we've, we've seen this um, here, probably more for the Confederate side than the Union side. And there's a lot of people have very emotive comments to make. I mean, it's quite, a, it's quite young for history compared to where I come from. Well, now you understand the, the issue with the Confederate flag in this yeah, country. Yeah, I do, I do. And I, 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 I empathise. I, I can understand it. Because there are people who still want to fly that flag. I know. I, I think you possibly take away some of the culture of where those people come from and what they stand for. So that history still lives as well. Without a doubt. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel and playing the radio with no particular place to go. Peter Greenberg here with you on board the American Queen, a true steamboat. And as I'm constantly reminded by my next guest, it's a boat, not a ship. And his name is Holland Ware. And the reason why we're talking to Holland is every once in a while, uh, especially when you're talking about cruise ships, you'll find someone who's been on that ship so many times they might as well have moved in. Uh, and there are some people, actually, in history who did just that. They just never got off the ship, and they even had a, a, a real problem in some situations where the ship had to go into dry dock, and these people had nowhere to go. Well, my next guest has been on this ship. For, uh, I said ship, didn't I? Yes. I know. Has been on this boat how many times? Uh, 40, something like between 40 and 50 times. Wow. Since when? Uh, since we came out in 08. I had been on it prior to then, but since... Uh, uh, Ted has had it uh, about 40 or 50 times. And your name is Holland Ware. And where are you based, by the way? Uh, Atlanta. So you travel to where, the sh to, to where the boat is and off you go. Yes, sir. What, what keeps bringing you back? 
I had uh, traveled all over the world for 30 odd years, and this is the only trip that I'll take over and over again. Uh, what brings me back uh, is the uh, several things. Uh, the food is terrific. Uh, it's four-star restaurant. Uh, the entertainment is uh, is great. It's uh, it's Broadway. Uh, they have on the boat here. Uh, uh, they have Mark Twain, who is very enjoyable. I enjoy seeing him. Now let's let's be honest. You have someone playing Mark Twain. Well, come, come on. One honey. of my friends, uh, more intelligent friends, when I told him that, he said, "Hell, boy, what have you been smoking? Mark Twain's been dead a hundred years, but no, we enjoy Mark Twain." And he has. So uh, you have been smoking. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, they have Phil Westbrook at the piano bar. So you're, you're a happy cruiser. Oh, absolutely. Phil brings in pe people to reserve trips just to be here when Phil is going to be and when Mark Twain is going to be here. But then, of course, it's not just what's on the boat. It's where you go. We love the tours. The what have you learned about American history from being on this boat? All, a lot of the... Uh, cemeteries, uh, the stops in Natchez, Vicksburg, uh, a lot of the Civil War history. Uh, the River Lorian is terrific. Uh, the, always. the River Lorian. River Lorian. I'm, I'm, I'm translating for you. Yes, uh, <laughs> River Lorian. Right. Uh, he does an excellent job of t teaching and entertaining. And so there's just many, many things on this boat that uh, that I love. Now, have you taken cruises before on, on regular ocean liners? Oh yeah, from from the uh, QE2 to all of, a lot of them. Yes, yeah, so, but, but but now you're now you're a, a tried and true sworn riverboat guy. This is the only trip I'll take over and over again. Yes, sir. What's new about it every time? Employees do such an excellent job, and they are often new employees, um, and. Uh, sometimes the stops are different, uh, but the, we like the hop-on, hop-off tours. Yeah, you're not trapped uh, on the bus. That's correct. We, we get off net every day on a hop-on, hop-off, and then there are other tours. So there's just a lot to do in the, the entertainment, the tours. Sure, but you know so, what? I, my experience has been that when you've been on a boat this long, sometimes when the, sh when the boat stops, sometimes you don't get off at all. You just like staying on the boat. That is correct. I love this boat, and I do that. All right. Now, here's my question. Yes, sir. Uh, and it's it's basically a common sense question. So let me ask you this. Yes. You're from Atlanta, but the ship doesn't go to Atlanta. The boat goes from New Orleans up to Memphis, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Yes, sir. So you got to fly to get here. Yes, sir. Uh, most cruisers make a mistake, whether they're going to go to a riverboat or they're going to go to a, a, a big cruise ship, that they get there on the day the ship is leaving. Big mistake. You need to get there at least a day or two earlier just to kind of get organized and get a little sense of the city where you're living from, especially if you're traveling with luggage. The last thing you want to do is pay catch up with your bags if they don't make the flight. Well, we come in my own plane. You come in your own plane. So You buried the, the lead on me. So the baggage gets off at the same time we do. It better. If you, yeah. Otherwise, you got nobody to blame but yourself. Right. And uh, what, kind of, what kind of plane are you flying? It's a Cirrus. Oh, I, I, I like the Cirrus, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we like the parachute. Yeah, you know, people don't realize what a Cirrus is. I've flown a Cirrus a couple of times, and first of all, I'm not used to the to the handle as opposed to the yoke. But the point is, right above you, literally above your right hand, if you're flying, 
is a little handle, which you hope you never have to pull, but you're very glad it's there. Uh, that plane has actually saved so many lives uh, because in a situation, if you lose an engine or you have a malfunction, you hit that handle and you literally, the, par the parachute pops and the plane drops down. And the most amazing thing about that is, in many cases, there's not very much damage to the plane. Yes. I saw the one that went into the Pacific yeah. on TV. We, we all saw that one. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, there was somebody, I believe, with Walmart flying his own plane went down. But they never have let me use the parachute yet. Well, you don't want to. Well, it'd be different. You don't want to. Okay. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want to. But it's nice to know it's there. Oh, it is. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. editor our next editor i love this our next guest uh but she is our next editor too so i'm, I'm technically correct has uh, has been covering the scene here in new orleans for over 20 years she's the uh, editor for life and culture at nola.com and also the the paper here the times picayune and her name is melinda morris how are you melinda good morning yeah well good morning you know i've been seeing so many forget katrina i mean we we, we don't want to forget for katrina but even if Katrina had never happened, we've seen so many changes here, and at the same time, so many things have not changed. Mm -hmm. uh, but the river scene here, I remember, and I'll give you my example. Uh, oh, God, 25 years ago, I came into town, and, and I had some friends of mine who, who ran the Jazz Fest, and, uh, they, and I, I got to the hotel around 11 o'clock at night, and they said, so what are you doing later? I said, later, it's 11 o'clock at night. They said, what are you doing later? I said, I don't know. They said, well, be downstairs about 1 in the morning. I said, Downstairs at one o'clock. Okay, fine. So I figured, okay, you know, when in Rome, I'm downstairs at one in the morning. They pick me up in a car. Next thing you know, I'm three blocks away on the river with the Neville brothers, and wow. we're on a riverboat, literally jamming on the river at one o'clock in the morning. That's still New Orleans. Yes, absolutely. Um, and that actually reminds me, um, during Jazz Fest, there's a great series of concerts called Midnight Preserves that a lot of people don't know about that happens at Preservation Hall. And you may see some of the headliners from Jazz Fest pop in, but you are not given advance notice. If you're just lucky enough, you might see, you know, uh, Stevie Wonder or somebody like that pop in. So it's it's worth going. And the last time I was here, I, I was walking around the streets with, with Harry Connick and, and, and went to all of his old haunts where he used to play, mm -hmm. starting at the age, I think, of 15. And then we went to some of the schools that he's been supporting uh, with his music program. It's, it's, it's amazing, the rebuilding efforts here. And what I want to tell people is the rebuilding efforts are not over. They're continuing. Mm -hmm. Uh, just because you heard of St. Bernard's or the 19th, you know what? They still need help, right? Absolutely. And um, But I do think New Orleans has come a long way. Um, there's some amazing uh, neighborhoods that have been revitalized. Like? Um, one of my favorite streets is Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard. Say that again. Aretha, O-R-E-T-H-A, <laughs> Castle Haley Boulevard. And that used to be kind of a scary place to go. But now you have so many cool restaurants, um, entertainment venues. One of my favorites is Casa Borrega, which is uh, owned by a guy named Hugo, who's from Mexico. It's, a, it's not just a restaurant. They also have live music. 
It's also sort of an outdoor art installation with their patio. Whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah, but I personally love it. But there are so many cool places on Aretha Castle Haley, and that place has just been growing like crazy for the past couple of years. And of course, the river scene. You know, you don't have to just take a riverboat. You take the ferry across. The, just the ferry is cool. Actually, I live on the other side of the river where you get off that ferry in Algiers. And Algiers yeah. Point is actually the second oldest neighborhood after the French Quarter in New Orleans. And it's definitely worth that very cheap ferry ride across the river. You know what I do here? I, I shouldn't admit this. I go out to the ferry dock, which is very close to where, we're, where, where yes, we are right is. now. And I get on the ferry just to go across the other side because when you come back, that's when you see New Orleans when you come yes. back. Yes. And the, the view over there from Algiers Point of St. Louis Cathedral and the whole... Um, French Quarter is absolutely stunning and there's a beautiful paved um, levee walk that you can walk along and, and I see tourists there all the time. I, I tourists? Do you see tourists? Absolutely. Oh my God. Oh. I heard a couple speaking French there the other day when I was taking a walk um, just you know looking at St. Louis Cathedral. And well we're talking with Melinda Morris from the Times-Picayune and NOLA.com. All right you've been here a long time. Where do you like, I mean look I have my favorite places. Sure. But where do you like to go that's not in the brochure, not in the guidebook, that people who might even be showing up on a riverboat might want to go on to. Sure. Um, well, I would say one of my favorite places in New Orleans is Rock and Bowl. And it's a place you can take your little kid on up to your grandma. It has live music almost every night of the week. Um, it has bowling. It has a bar. It has food. It's run by a real New Orleans character named John Blancher. His son runs Yole College Inn, which is a restaurant right next door, which serves classic New Orleans food. Again, the whole family is welcome. That place is just so much fun. It's huge. And... Um, all ages. I love it. You know where I like to stay when I come to New Orleans? Where's that? The Montelion. Oh, yes. And you know why? Because of the bar. That's fantastic. The carousel bar. You know, speaking of Jazz Fest, yeah. uh, a few years ago, Billy Joel was one of the headliners, and a friend of mine was at the carousel bar, and he heard this guy playing piano, and he was like, oh, that guy's pretty good. It was Billy Joel just yeah. hanging out because he was staying there. Oh, yeah. So that's a... a you're really smart during Jazz Fest if you go out a lot at night because you really don't know who you will see in, in any sort of bar or any restaurant or hotel. We talk about the carousel bar because it still actually rotates. Yes, it does. It rotates, and you walk in there, and you're thinking, have I been drinking? <laughs> no, it actually does rotate. Yes, it does. But the, the thing that's dangerous about that hotel, first of all, everybody thinks it's haunted. By the mm -hmm. way, it is. <laughs> but, I'll you, but the thing that's really cool about that hotel is when you walk out the door, I'm an antiques nut. Right? Mm -hmm. All those little stores on that street. Oh, yes. Oh, Royal goodness. Street. Yeah. yeah. Royal Street is one of my favorite places to stroll down, you know, get a drink, walk down the street, which you can do in New Orleans, and pop into all those little art galleries and antique shops. It's really fun. Now, here's my other secret. And nobody does it, okay? And I bet you you've never done it. I get on, I go to Penn Station in New York at about noon, and I get on the Southern Crescent. The Southern Crescent is a train that's been operated for over 100 years. It starts in New York, goes down to Washington, D.C., and then heads down south. And where does it end up at 6 o'clock the next night? New Orleans. Wow. And it is the coolest thing because you're stopping in all these little places that you may have read about as a kid or studied going to school, mm -hmm. you know, Meridian, Mississippi, all that, and you sure. can get off the train. You know, you, you'd hop on and off. You don't have to stay on for the whole thing. You get off, you pick it up the next day. Right. It's a great way to go to New Orleans if people don't know that. That's a fantastic idea. Aren't you glad I told you that? Yes, I would like to do that sometime. <laughs> you should do that. That's great. All right, so you like going to that one place, yes. right? The, the bowling place. Let me suggest another place that is not that far from here, um, Magazine Street. It's such a wonderful street. It goes on for quite a while. And if you like boutique shopping, antique shopping, 
finding a million restaurants and little bars, Magazine Street is the place to go, in my opinion. It doesn't take that long to get there, and you could spend all day, you could spend all weekend, really. Now, you've got some of the great chefs here. You've got Susan Spicer, who I've gone back with years, John mm -hmm. Besh, all those guys. Who's the new up-and-coming one? I would say, you know, actually, John Besh continues to do things Well, he keeps reinventing re re himself. Yes. How many restaurants does he have now, 12 or oh something? It's ridiculous. I don't, yeah. I don't even know. I lose count. I think he's getting ready to do another one. I know. Um, so it, it's really hard to pick just one. I mean, that's New Orleans is almost overwhelming with how much great food there is. It can be almost impossible to pick which restaurant you want to go to because there's so many great choices. I mean, my old friend Rick Tremonto, who who was a chef in Chicago, is now down here at the mm -hmm. restaurant. I like, okay, I'm going to say something that's a little touristy, okay? Okay. But for people who've never been here before, you should do it, but do it at the right time. Sunday morning, that's mm -hmm. when you go to Commander's Palace. You go out there for brunch, and then you walk into the cemeteries. That right across, great. right? Yeah. That's the way I would do that, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, get a jacket and tie, but go to Galatoire's just once. Sure. Right? But if you don't have a jacket, by the way, they have one for you. <laughs> That's you're true. Not, you're not getting in or out without a jacket. Now, have you been to Clancy's Uptown? Yeah. I love Clancy's. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Cool. And definitely work, worth an Uber or cab drive if you're, you know, uh, yeah, staying in the quarter. Designated driver yes. time. You bet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I'm sorry, but Bourbon Street to me is overrated. It's a bunch of drunks with go cups. You know what? Do it for an hour and then leave because there's right. so much more to New Orleans than, than Bourbon Street. But don't take your children, please. <laughs> They're going to see things that will traumatize them. <laughs> or if they're my age, they will always be excited to see. <laughs> Get through one family, one contact the park. Contact the park, right away. Go 423, adios. AMAX 403, contact the park, sir, adios. Over to the park, sir, 171. Awesome job. Joining me now, somebody who understands what happens when this thing comes ashore, um, and people don't realize about how much life there is on the river. I mean, that's how commerce started. Uh, you, you do river cruises in Europe, and it's the same concept. You're going to small places that that most people don't go to. Uh, you have time to see them, uh, and you're looking at the way things used to be, and in many cases still are. Jim Palmieri from from the cruise line. You've done the, you do the shore excursions, but this is not a typical shore excursion situation where everybody's crowding into a bus and going to a, to a souvenir store. Correct. I mean, you're looking at history. We are. I mean, we do it a little bit differently in the fact that we get to go into these small towns and the people get to really spend the time in the towns at their leisure and with their interests in mind. And nobody stuck, the, the best part of this is nobody's stuck on the stupid bus. Well, you know. And we, I call it the stupid bus because when you're stuck on it, it becomes stupid. Well, you know, we heard that loud and clear when we first started here, and we knew that um, people were held captive. They would go out on a shore excursions, and if, if it didn't interest them, they were, they were stuck, still stuck on the bus. They were stuck on the bus for two yeah. to three hours. So we created this hop-on, hop-off uh, adventure in 62 small towns around America. And, Give me uh, an idea of the, of the towns. Small towns. St. Francisville has 1,700 and some people in it. The largest uh, of all of them, I believe, on this part of the river would be Greenville at 33,000 people. That's the biggest. So that's the biggest on this but part of But most of these places are small. They're real small towns. And so you, you, you're basically on the river bank. We are. I mean, you know, the captain pulls right up. We, we nudge right up to the river bank. Uh, today we were at a boat launch uh, that we, uh, we docked at. And sometimes you just tie to a tree. Sometimes tying to a tree. Yeah. And then they, they can hop on, and every 15 minutes they can come back if they want. Right. We have uh, five buses that travel along with the boat. 
so they're spaced so every 15 minutes they leave the boat and they'll be at an attraction usually in the town we'll have anywhere from five to eight to nine attractions and uh, every now, for example minutes. earlier today you did a swamp tour yes we did are there gators there were gators and critters and all sorts of birds <laughs> and all those things that people love to see on a swamp that's right so if somebody so basically that's not a hop-in tour <laughs> no no okay just double checking um, but you're on boats. You're on little boats to see them. We put them on little boats. I mean, our shore excursions are very, very varied because it is, you know, it is America. It is America's uh, highway. This this river is the highway. And we find these little towns. We'll go anywhere from a swamp tour. Uh, we go to Angola prison. We'll go right into a maximum security prison. Really? Yes. We'll go t onto the... By the way, let's not forget the, the, uh, the Gene Wilder, uh, Richard Pryor movie, Stir Crazy. That was that was the uh, the rodeo at, at Angola Prison in, Ab in Louisiana. Yeah. Absolutely, and the funny story about this this is that we have to count the number of guests on the boat. No kidding. On as we go and, in, and, and it better and, match. And, and encouraging all your passengers not to wear stripes that day. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got it. But you go. We go. We go in, and we don't just go and tour. We go in. We go into the rodeo grounds. We go into the stables, and then we end up in a chapel talking with a prisoner. You have interactions. Total interaction. That never happens. That's cool. It, it doesn't. You know, people are on this boat because they want an authentic American experience, and it's important for us to take that same experience off the boat and see the authentic America. And do the passengers like that experience? They do. Um, that, that, I mean, that particular one, yeah. That particular one in Angola actually won second place as the most innovative shore excursions in the world last year in Barcelona from Sea Trade magazine. So you that know was what? a big deal. If I had a choice of going to a t shirt store or Angola prison, I'd go to the prison. It's there. I know. You know it, it's, it's different. It's, it's something you would not normally see going through the strip mall at your local town. Okay, so that clearly qualifies as an unusual approach to a shore excursion. What other, give me another one that's really off the wall for you guys. Well, something that's it could be very, very normal, but we make it a little bit off the wall, is that our Vicksburg battlefield tour. Now, that could be a three-hour stuck-on-the-bus kind of thing. But what we did is we it's enough to start a civil war. It is enough. Yeah. But we ended up actually getting permission from the Park Service to show their film in, in, the, in the Grand Saloon of our boat here. And then we bring on a Confederate soldier reenactor in a brand-new uniform. And he says, I'm going in to enlist. And he enlists all the, all the guests on board to go in with him. And they all get enlistment cards. And we went out and we did the research and we found the people who were actually in the war or who had um, portions of the war. And they go with him out on, on tour and uh, with our regular guides. And then about the third stop in the battlefield. They get shot. Nope. Okay, just double checking. Nope. But he comes out shot. Ah. He comes out now in tattered clothes. And he's asking how the war was for them. And he says, for me, it's been hell. There you go. Keep that going. This is flight 372 on SWA. The flight attendant's on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle, David in the back. My name is David, and I'm here to tell you that. Shortly after takeoff, first things first, there's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst. But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler. Alcoholic beverages will be $4. If a monster energy drink is your plan, that'll be $3, and you get the whole can. We won't take your cash. You got to pay with plastic. If you have a Joining me now, the president and CEO of American Queen and the entire company, Ted Sykes. How are you, sir? Hi, Peter. Nice to be here. You know, if I were to do the, the history not in 150 years, but just in the last 20 years of the riverboats in America, it would be a roller coaster. Yes. Uh, I mean, somebody had it, somebody lost it, somebody tried again, somebody went bankrupt. People thought there were no more boats on the river, but you're back. Yeah, yeah. This boat was actually built by Sam Zell 
20 plus years ago, and it's gone through a whole checkered past of owners. And it was built in 95? It's built in 95. Uh, and then it, it did cruise, then it didn't? It, it cruised, it was under the Delta Queen, it was under Majestic, it was under three or four different companies. And then because it was built with taxpayer money, it was repossessed by the federal government. So the taxpayers... Well, that's always happy to happen. Oh, yeah. oh my. The taxpayers owned it for a period of time. Okay, so here's my question. How do you get it back from the U.S. government? So uh, the U.S. government got tired of taking care of it. Because they're not in the business. They're not in the business. Uh, they're not in the business, and, and maintenance and upkeep is a big deal. So they put it out to bid, and they had a couple of um, shopping mall developers who wanted to buy it and tie it up alongside either Midtown Manhattan or San Francisco, two cities that don't allow any more hotel waterfronts uh, to be built. Um, and our group came along and said, wait a minute, we're in the business of running U.S. flag vessels. If you'll sell it to us, we'll put, it, we'll put an American flag back on the stern. We'll put American mariners back to work. And isn't that why we use taxpayer money to build it in the first place? And for those people who don't understand this, there are very, very few cruise lines that you'll ever go on that are flagged in America. Right. Uh, I think they've got an exemption for one of the uh, Norwegian cruise lines in Hawaii. And on the U.S. on the U.S. rivers, right. we have very protectionist legislation in this country. So you have to be supermajority owned by Americans and run by Americans and American crude to fly an American and pay flight. American wages and and pay American wages. No small thing. So your cost of operation is is that much higher? It's significantly higher. So okay, I have to ask the devil's advocate question. You say, hey, look, we'll take it back, and after it's failed once and twice, maybe even three times, we're going to run it. And still pay more money than anybody else. What made you think you were going to make it, make it work? Uh, because our company had a history. We operate, I think, a total of today 107 U.S. flag vessels. And so we, we've got the technical maritime side down quite well. And we had a, we had a cadre of, of seasoned mariners. So we felt oh, like Oh, I like the word operate. cadre. That was nice. Okay, <laughs> okay good. Sounds and, like you're and, about and, to attack the ship. Right. And yeah. there, was, there was pent-up demand. And... And we put it together, and we brought in hotel people. We brought in people who are seasoned on the cruise side. And we do sell at a higher per diem, and we are full. We are running full. You know, you say there's a pent-up demand. I mean, was there a time, I think there was, when there were no ships there were. It was over two years when there were no uh, American flag vessels running on American rivers. Wow. So you guys came back. So we came back, and we're, and we're, strong. we're starting our fifth year of operation. By the way, how did the feds do in taking care of the ship? Uh, very well. Really? They kept everything dehumidified, air-conditioned. Uh, they were not cheap. They spent top dollar, and I think that's why they wanted to unload it at the end. Yeah. <laughs> but now you have it. And we have it. And we have, this, we have the one out west, too, the American Empress. Same thing. They kept it Is dehumidified. Is that the Columbia River? And the Columbia River. Yeah. Wow, that, that's going to be a cool cruise. Yeah, yeah. Smaller ship. Smaller ship. It's about two-thirds the size of this one. What did you learn bringing this ship back on the Mississippi that you didn't think you were going to have to learn? Uh... You know, I guess the the biggest thing is there are really no port facilities along the river. So you make it up as you go along. You make it up as you go along, uh, and a lot of people don't realize that. But this and is, that depends on the height of the river too. Yeah, and the and the Mississippi goes up and down quite a bit. We have figured that out, and we've because we can land just about anywhere. It's very shallow bottomed, so we can tie off to a tree if we have to. So we and really, you have, and we have, and we really don't need ports. It's just we need to have the flexibility of operating on an ever-changing river. So that sounds like Back to the Future. Where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs> <laughs> and we have never not operated a cruise because of water conditions. We've had to divert sometimes because and pick we, other ports because we couldn't get under a bridge. Aerial draft is a bigger problem than uh, nautical draft most of the time. 
And what's the biggest surprise when people come on one of these ships that they're not expecting? Uh, I would say on this, they're surprised by the level of fit and finish. They're surprised by the level of the luxury service. We really try to deliver, and I think we do a reasonably good job of delivering a five-star product. I mean, I remember, and I go through all sorts of Coast Guard regulations on my own boat. I mean, I remember when, when I went on a, on a riverboat, it was all wood. You can't do that anymore. You can't do that anymore, no. I mean, fire regulations alone, the Coast Guard won't certify it. Yeah. So you had to bring this, this thing up to co- total code. Yes. Yeah. And that, have, that had to be a challenge. Yeah, and it's a constant challenge. You know, it's a, it's a constant challenge. Every year we lay it up for six to eight weeks, and we do all the cosmetic upgrades. Now, the good news is we're operating in, in clear water, not salt water, but we still have all the wear and tear on the decks and the hulls. Oh, yeah, and you're replacing the boards of the paddle wheel every once in a while, too. Regularly. And, yeah. and if you notice, the paddle wheel boards are made of pine, and that's by design. It's supposed to break. There's all this drift tree trunks coming down. It's amazing what you hit on the river. Uh, Amazing, yeah. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.